This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The holidays are almost upon us, and the city is booming. It's very complicated if you want to be midtown. Do not bring your cars no matter what you do. There are street closures all around the tree. People are coming in from all over. It actually feels good to see New York thriving. And by the way, Broadway is doing great, too. A Beautiful Noise made a lot of money. There is a lot of stuff. Merrily, we roll along and off-Broadway Music Man is knocking them for a loop with all the grosses they have. And the Lion King. Don't forget, these tickets are great holiday gifts for Hanukkah or Christmas. Hamilton, Wicked, Phantom of the Opera. And, in fact, Jeffrey Richards, who's a very well-known theater person and a Broadway press agent... He's behind Ohio State Murders, which a lot of people think is great. And you've got a Christmas carol doing very well there. Some like it hot, 1776. It's a good time to come into the city. And don't forget, check out Sardi's Restaurant. It's part of theater history. And it's a great place to have a lunch or go for an early dinner if you're there for a matinee. And it just feels good to be in and around the city. And there are so many things to do. Just the other day, I went to a lunch at um, a private club in New York, the University Club, and Tina Brown has written a new book on Megan and Harry. That place was packed. So many people are, I guess, the documentary, too, By the way, did you know that the documentary, which Netflix had, was one of the highest grossing docs they have ever, ever had? There is so much interest. And people can't believe it, that Harry and Meghan, but they're incredibly popular in Europe, and they are drawing the crowds to documentary, to television. Anytime their names are mentioned... People's hearts start beating fast. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And we're going to be with you, holding your hand if you need it, through the holidays. And it's a nice time of year, no matter what you celebrate, to have people over. And there are so many people, even if they don't celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah, who feel lonely at this time of year. So it's a nice time to invite people over for tea, for a drink, for cookies, for whatever. Order takeout Chinese food if you don't want to cook or make a fuss. And I loved when we were researching all this uh, takeout Christmas and Hanukkah food, 
And rib roast was among the popular, most popular main courses for all these people who sell it. So if you want a high-end holiday meal, you can listen to some of our features and try not to get yourself all stressed out. Enjoy it. And this is also a good time to make a little contribution because every little bit makes a great difference. And again, we want to thank you for being part of our audience. It means a lot, and we love hearing from you. So stay tuned. We've got a great show ahead. We're going to deal with a famous Broadway actor, and we'll sit and chat about that. We'll give you food suggestions. We have a lot of good stuff. And again, thanks for being part of the Joan Hamburg audience. Don't forget, every Sunday at 2 o'clock, you can always listen to our podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on social media. We're everywhere. So stay straight ahead. I'm Joan Hamburg. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Well, I'm very happy with all these holidays coming upon us to talk to one of the great chefs, personalities, writer, lifestyle person, the one and only Rocco Despirito. And I can't even tell you how many years ago I met Rocco, but I was having dinner with a New York Times food person, and she said, there's a young guy, I don't even think he's 20 years old, and he opened a restaurant called Union Pacific, and I hear it's terrific. Let's go. So we went, and it was unbelievable. It was so delicious. And that was the first time I met Rocco. And that was the start of a very busy, interesting, exciting career. And Rocco grew up, you know, he wasn't to the manner born, but his mom was very serious about food and a really good cook and could make a meal out of almost anything and loved it. So that's where you got the bug from. And no one discouraged you, or did they? Uh, the bug definitely started with my mom and in her kitchen, in the kitchen of my grandmother and my aunts and uncles. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, but were you were you dining with Dan Barber the, that first night you, you came into? You mean yes, one of one of my um, extended family sons. No, I actually didn't go to you the first time with Dan Barber. It was with Marion Burroughs who was reviewing restaurants in those days for the New York Times. 
But Dan oh, was, goodness. and Dan had gone in there, right? Dan of Blue Hill fame. Yes, he was in. He was in there. I, I thought he was there with you one time. This he is was. So we're we're going. Oh, he was. Okay, good. We're going back a long time now. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, the bug definitely started with my mom. No question about it. Uh, growing up in a traditional Italian American home, you know, there's lots of food around, and you know, food was just always a part of part of life. Uh, and cooking was always a part of life. It's, it's, I think things are very different today. And, uh, you know, you could, you could grow up and not even be exposed to people cooking these days for the first 10, 15 years of your life. Um, but I was fortunate to have that experience. And, you know, my family still made their own bread and wine and preserves and canned tomatoes. And they still do to this day, actually. And they're, they're almost in their nineties now. But, um, but then I started working in New York at restaurants in New York City, and that really, uh, you know, spurred on my love for the craft and for cooking and, and gave all the uh, energy my career needed. Well, I first heard about the keto food, and, and you actually wrote a book that people can still get called Rocco's Keto Comfort Food Diet, Eat the Foods You Miss. And I think that was it, and lose up to a pound a day, but... You were very into healthy food, too, without getting rid of all the foods we grew up with or loved. Yes, I always thought it would be, you know, reasonable and prudent to try to figure out how to eat the foods that we grew up loving and the foods that we love, you know, today. And some of them are considered junk foods or, you know, sort of weeknight meals. But, you know, we're talking about fried chicken and pastas and you know, chicken wings and tacos and guacamole and that kind of thing, and figure out how to, how to take out most of the unhealthy parts, the processed carbs, the, uh, the you know, intense amount of sugars, and keep what's good. And in, in the Keto Comfort uh, Diet book, that's usually protein and, and fat, because uh, in, in the context of a keto diet, you want to have a high-fat, high-protein diet, or a moderate-protein diet, high-fat diet. And uh, right. I, I was able to do that, and that book came out March 2020. Yeah, and that's still definitely still available. And, you know, that comes after nine other books on health and wellness. Uh, and, you know, really proud of my record on health and wellness. Um, although I am working on my first book that is not a healthy book. What is it? It will be out this time next year. Uh, it's, it's an everyday meal book. Uh, we don't have a title yet, but it's basically a, you know, me cooking at home. And um, health and wellness is not mentioned once. <laughs> I'm delighted to say. <laughs> okay, just, good. The, the, the focus is delicious and delicious only. No, and, and well, it was time for that, right? You know how to make delicious food, and I still—I don't know if you're doing it, but I remember when you had a food delivery service. Yes, yeah, still doing that. Yeah, and and still still delivering healthy and delicious food. Well, of course. And everyone wants you to cook for them. I read a story about, you know how, I forget what it is. I think it was the Times uh, does something on how people spend their Sundays. Do you remember that? And they they talked about you, and I couldn't believe it. I said, how does that guy eat that much food and look so good on a Sunday? Uh, And you, you talk about you get up sort of at the crack of dawn, have a little protein shake, go back to bed, and then you would start eating at different intervals during the day. Yeah, Sunday is Sunday is the break fast day. It's the day that I 
I'm not really concerned about what I eat. It's um, it's unlike the other six days of the week where I'm closely monitoring my food and drink consumption, counting calories, counting you know grams of fat and alcohol and all that boring stuff. And Sundays the day I, I kind of just give into it all. Um, but you know what's interesting? If you're if you're moderate during the week, it's easier to stay moderate on Sundays. So it's not really like a, a complete you're, you're stuffing yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you still go to Balthazar for Sunday breakfast? I do as often as I can. Uh, so yes, in the Sunday routine article, they talked about how I combine my breakfast, lunch, and dinner into one big brunch, and uh, I still try to do that as often as I can. Uh, but I love all of Keith's restaurants. I go to I go to a lot of his restaurants wherever I can. Uh, but Balthazar has the nicest seafood platter, which is also very healthy, by the way, and really uh, fun. And if you're looking for a celebration for the holidays or, uh, you know, for anything else during the year, it's a great way to mark an event as a special event. They've got right. the three-tier seafood platter, and it just, it's the best in the city. I maintain it's the best in the city today, and it was 16 years ago when they opened up. Right. And it's delicious. Just absolutely delicious, yeah. And, and are and you very healthy? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Are you cooking for your pals? Right what, Rocco? Not that we care anymore about healthy, right? We're we're going to take a break from healthy for a year. Yeah. Well, we're going to. You know, <laughs> we're eating real food. It's a little moderation. And when you love exactly. food, you want to eat. I mean, food is one of life's great pleasures, and it's also our social lives in many different ways. So are you cooking for your pals on Sunday? Yes. Um, I, I'm, yeah, you know, you mentioned that you make a great point. Food is how we socialize. It's how we tell people we love them, how we tell people we care for them. Uh, it's a way, it's a language, right? It's a language that, that mm-hmm. especially chefs and uh, people like you and me, food enthusiasts use every single day to, to give meaning to moments in our life and, family members and so sometimes it's very difficult to navigate the you know the communication using this food as a language as your main language and uh you know make sure that you're checking all the boxes of health and wellness as as well so um probably a good idea to get get into a physical activity routine so you don't have to worry so much about the food but yes i'm hosting my family again for the first time since the pandemic um my whole family is coming over for Christmas and Christmas Day, yeah, and uh, maybe even New Year's Day, and uh, it's truly one of the great joys of my life. And I'm thinking about how to simplify the menu because I typically do too much, as you, as you probably would expect. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, there'll be one seafood course and, and one uh, traditional meat course, and that's going to be it. But I doubt that's going to happen. I'll probably end up with you know what you're going to do. Several, yeah, yeah, I know it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to go to Cinderella. Going to buy everything I see, <laughs> and there's going to before I know there's going to be three kinds of potatoes, three kinds of pastas, yeah, and everything absolutely delicious. And you know, I've seen you. It's sometimes at night when I can't sleep, I'll go to the Food Network and watch Guy Fieri. The Food Network, if they like you, they run you all the time. And this is Guy's time. He's on night and day. And you're on the Food Network a lot of times with Guy as a judge, as a contestant, and you really, you're you're so cool at that. Do you feel anxiety in all these contests? <laughs> so uh, I think everyone you ask will tell you that those those competitions are uh, very provocative. They, they cause a lot of anxiety. They also 
bring up a lot of really fun feelings. Uh, and all of us, I'm sure, feel some sort of anxiety and performance performance issues um, whenever we, we compete because, you know, they reset the clock, so to speak, every time. You, you never start with an advantage because the competitions, they've gone smart about it. They know that we know how things are going to go. So if they don't throw, you know, four or five uh, obstacles in our way, it won't be hard enough. So every time you compete, it's with new ingredients, a new time limit, a new game, especially on guys' grocery games, which is super fun. Uh, he does manage to make it really fun. We do laugh a lot. And uh, uh, as, as much as you see me crying on those shows, I'm, I'm also laughing. But it's, it's, you know, it's a pleasure pain thing. Uh, every, right, I like that. It's really fun. It's really fun. I have to say it's really fun. And you know what's interesting? You do, you do discover new things about yourself in terms of cooking ingredients, understanding of ingredients. He's got so many. He's got 35,000 ingredients, I think, in that store. Mm. And so we, we're always using new things. So he, they'll force you to use, you know, rattles, uh, rattlesnake in a can, whole chicken right. in a can, tactical crazy bacon, things. crazy things. Yeah, tapioca <laughs> you wouldn't normally use. So uh, it's kind of fun and challenging, and it does, you know, uh, itch your cook bone or your culinary bone, and you have to scratch it and figure out what, what's up and what's you in do. your mind and what you're going to do. Yeah. And it's very I'm interesting. Glad you, glad you find it entertaining, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting to watch the way they do this, you know, where it's um, people pitted against each other. There's a huge time factor involved. So you sort of feel that anxiety when you're watching this, but it seems to be a very big thing. The audiences love these competitions. I wonder if, like, do you love the competitions or you'd rather just cook? You know, I prefer the competitions over the judging. So I do both for guys' grocery games and for Tournament of Champions and on Guys' Ranch Kitchen and other shows on Food Network. And I prefer the competitions because um, it feels a little more honest to me. And I I, uh, I know what to do when, you know, ingredients are laid out before me and there's a time crunch because that's just like sort of everyday cooking, right? It's always like that. Uh, and, in, and the judging is where it gets a little... Uh, challenging because you know you, you just never know how much of judging is personal preference you know how how right fair you're, being. So you're always second guessing yourself right was i fair enough did i did i score them properly uh what i love about tournament of champions guys new show which is in season four we just shot season four is that it's blind judging and uh he's got some really amazing judges on there like Nancy Silverton and Jonathan Waxman and yeah, uh, other really really big chefs. Yeah, so they're they're just top of their game, and uh, it's blind judging. You don't know who you're judging. You don't know what the challenge was. So uh, it really comes down to taste, execution, you know, attractiveness of the plate. So it's more it's a little more fair, and I feel a little more comfortable judging in that arena. Also, that that kitchen is so enormous. If your cardio isn't a hundred percent, you're gonna lose. Because right, you have most to run around. Cardio condition, yeah. When they but ask, it's the most important thing for new yeah. contestants. I say, cardio. You have to be able to run a mile in the six minutes. Oh my gosh! But but it's amazing <laughs> to see you and see all these top chefs because you don't know, right, what you're going to be asked to cook or what you're going to make, and you just know that ingredients are there. So whatever they want, yeah. they can get, but. A chef has to really keep calm and be solid on his or her feet. And to make some of these things are very complicated and do it in a time frame. So you have to watch the clock, cook, taste, and then 
you know, hope it worked. For sure. You're, you you described it perfectly. There's a, there's a lot to think about. The time crunch is, you know, very real. It's usually 35 minutes. And, you know, it takes five to seven minutes just to grab your ingredients. And then there's, you know, a lot of zonk ingredients and obstacles like, you know, uh, we need you to use a, uh, you know, a, a TV grill, uh, you know, the George Foreman grill or, oh or uh, you know, uh, an immersion blender that is, you know, only an inch long or, you know, just funny stuff like that to keep it interesting. So right. being calm and grace under fire is you know, certainly a big part of it. And there are people who are just, you know, absolutely amazing at it. Brooke Williamson and Manit Chan, who won your you know, season one and season two, they they do this, you know, without any without breaking a sweat. They just get to work, and they can stay steady and calm. And no matter how much pressure guy uh, applies, they just perform, perform, perform. And I take my hat off to them. I believe I lost to Manit Chan in the first season, and you know what? I, I Gave it up to her willingly. I said, "You won, you know, fair and square, without doubt. You just you outperform me in every way." And uh, you know, there are people who are really, really good at this. I think if you're about ten years younger, you grew up in this world of reality competition, so you've done many, many of these, and and it's just second nature. Right. Well, uh, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun to watch it too. So, and I'm glad you think it's fun. Watching us suffer is fun, huh, Joan? I get it. Right. So if you could do anything, you know, and there's so much around and you are doing so many different things, what would your preference be? You know what Marco? I would love to do what? right now? I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, you can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay, I've been thinking about this a lot. What I would love to do is to have a 10-person counter in the West Village somewhere and just make six pasta courses, a la minute, complete uh, omakase style. Just whatever I felt like cooking, you know, for 90 minutes, for 10 people, three times a night. Doesn't that sound like heaven? Sounds like heaven to me. You know what? It sounds great. The only thing is you'd have a hard time getting your turnover because no one's going to want to leave. They're going to sit at your counter eating. 90 minutes, Yeah. yeah. You know, you'd have to have a limit on it, too, but it's a great idea. I always thought in my neighborhood, I didn't think so much about pasta, but I thought about a very late night Chinese menu that would be served from 10 o'clock till midnight, you know, and it could be whatever. But again, a long counter with that. But I think I like the idea of pasta even better. Yeah, that sounds just, delicious. Everybody loves pasta. Everyone is in love with, you know, delicious pasta. And now people really understand luxury ingredients, luxury ingredients that you and I used to talk about 20 years ago. People really get those, and they understand why they're expensive and special. And so I think it'd be a really good opportunity to make, you know, pasta with truffles, pasta with caviar, pasta with 36, you know, month-aged Parmigiano-Reggiano, those kinds of things that we're always thinking twice about in regular restaurant everyday business. And what is your comfort pasta when you need something? That's easy. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I had told you a while back I went to see Death of a Salesman, and I had seen this at least three other times. There have been five other productions of Death of a Salesman, won every award you can imagine. So I thought, I'm going to love it. It's got a great cast. But I didn't expect, having seen it before several times, that it would have the impact that it had. It was, it took my breath away. And we're going to talk and find out what it's all about. It's also the first time that this production, talking about the Lohman family, but this time the family is portrayed as African Americans. And it's a, it's a totally different experience. And the great Andre de Shields is in this and plays the brother of Willie Loman, a very powerful performance that is going to just make you think over and over in your head when you leave that theater. So I'm curious, Andre, you, you work all the time. You were in Town. Was this something you knew they were doing this, you know, taking a chance and doing something totally different? Joan, may I first say how wonderful it is to speak with you again. And you're my holiday gift. Thank you. Okay. Now, I also want to mention, because you said your experience with our production of Death of a Salesman took your breath away. And that is exactly what I am trying to do when I portray Ben Lohman, the older brother of Willie Lohman. Now, to get to a direct response to the question you asked, when I did my last performance of Town on May 29th, I did not know that this production of Death of a Salesman would be my next blessing. However, both you and I are mature enough to understand that when you let go of one blessing, the universe is prepared to offer you another. So I was at home trying to be domestic after three years of Working night and day. You know, washing the dishes, <laughs> getting the getting the circle from around the bathtub, all those good things. That you didn't have to deal with. <laughs> and uh, my phone rings, and it's Wendell Pierce. He says, Mr. DeShields, this mm-hmm. is Wendell Pierce. I'm ringing you from Budapest, where I am working Hi. on a film. I said, oh, wonderful. And this is my first conversation with Wendell Pierce. He and I have seen each other perform, but we didn't have any real connection, relationship or mm-hmm. connection. 
And he goes right to the point, asked me what I consider portraying his older brother, Ben, in the production of Death of a Salesman, which had already won everything outstanding attention on the West End in London and previous to that at the Young Vic. And I said, let me think about it. Yes. And you knew that it was now an African-American cast. I knew that the Loman family would be black. Mm -hmm. And I used that term because many people say, oh, you're doing the black death of a salesman. And I say, no, we're not doing a black death of a salesman. We're doing death of a salesman. And the Loman family is black. And that is the lens that is going to change your mind and illuminate your consciousness about whatever expectations you've ever held about what is already one of the most brilliant pieces in the canon of American dramatic literature. Without question. And it reminds you, too, all about expectations. And we know that Willie Loman is headed for trouble. And the expectations that were about America, too. And right, their exactly. What is, what is so interesting about expectations? If you know... Arthur Miller's play, Death of a Salesman, you know that it culminates in the tragic death of Willie Loman. However, when you come to see our production and you're looking at this man of color, knowing that his last act on the planet is an act of suicide, then you understand, you have to look at this play through a totally different lens. Through, through a mirror darkly, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew how I must play the older brother, Ben. Because Wendell Pierce, I've nicknamed him, Wendell the Lion Fierce. He roars through this play. He's on fire. So I knew immediately if Wendell's going to be fire as Willie Loman, then Ben must be ice. Right. And ben must be the opposite. Ben must move glacially, slowly like a predator because and everyone wants to know is, is is Ben real? Right. Or is he just the ghost that we're seeing? Yeah. Or I'd like to say we're not we were in the uh, rehearsal process and that wonderful young director Miranda Cromwell would ask each of the actors about the character 
So when it gets to me, she says, Andre, who is Ben Loman? What is Ben Loman? Mm -hmm. And my response was, Ben Loman is ectoplasm. He is that part of Willie Loman that Willie wants so badly to be. Yes. But he can only be present, Ben can only be present when Willie calls on him. And not to spoil the production, but before, when Willie calls on Ben. His brother. Yeah, his brother. Ben is preceded by an essence of haze. So it's as if Ben is being, is congealing from the haze. And then when he leaves the stage, he exits in a puff of haze. So You know. Go ahead. No, but I was going to say, Andre, which I found really interesting. Walk into the theater, sit down, and I thought to myself, because most of us have a Willie Loman or or would-be Willie Loman or turns to be in our lives, but I, when I sat down and I thought to myself, this is probably the first time I've seen this play and Willie and everyone, and it, it isn't going to relate to me or to the Willie that I know, but that was totally wrong. It does relate. It does relate. And for some reason, it related on a much more personal and intimate level than it had before. Why? And this is why I think that is true for many people. Many people have said that. But as we know, when Arthur Miller wrote the play in 1949 and Lee J. Cobb incarnated Willie Loman for the first time, it was essentially the exclusive domain of white actors for white audiences. But now, in this mature moment of the pandemic, and as all of us are dealing with this changing paradigm, and we don't really know what to do about the old world that's dying and the new world that's so eager to be born, when we want to investigate the truth of these united plantations of America, we must ask to look through the eyes of those who have been traditionally marginalized to the edges of society. Because then the true reflection will be apparent. And that's what's happening with this production of Death of a Salesman. Yeah. We're not seeing it through the eyes of the privileged. We're not seeing it through the eyes of a particular demographic. We're seeing it through the eyes of those people who can not and have never been able to afford the dream 
that's being sold as American. Right. And and he doesn't know he wants so much to fit the bill and be the perfect person, but he doesn't know what that person is or what well, the he whole thinks idea it's is. Ben. Yeah. You know, which is why which is why you know, Ben is usually um designed to look like a carpet bagger, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. A, a brown pinstripe suit. A kind of shoes. Yeah, a kind of borsalino hunter's hat, an attache in which you presume he's carrying his diamonds. But this bin is in pure white mm-hmm. and is a walking diamond because that's what the character says. That's what Willie Loman says about his brother. And you have to believe what the character says about the other characters. Willie Loman says, my brother Ben is success incarnate. Right. So when you see Ben, he looks the opposite of Willie. And Ben is a little dismissive of Willie. Ben is a little Mm -hmm. arrogant. He wonder, wait a minute, these are blood brothers? What's, What's the deal here? But Willie's problem, his delusion, that if he had been his brother, he would have had a happier life, which also flips the script because he wants Ben to be the 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 emblematic reason for Biff to change his life. Right. The child. Why can't you son. make it Biff? Why my brother it's so it's so personal now that it is universal. Everyone mm-hmm. in that audience and I know you must have realized it was an intergenerational audience. Yeah. It was a multicultural audience. Very unusual. And, and and everyone was having his own personal catharsis. Well, absolutely right. And when they wait for you at the stage door, what, what are you hearing? I'm hearing... First of all, when I greet people at the stage door, they just look at me. Because I think they're still wondering, are you a ghost? Right, are you real? Or- are you real? Are you are you really the the brother of uh, Willie Loman? And then, more often than not, because I don't mind being engaged in conversation if people are trying to understand, digest what it is they've just experienced. Mm-hmm. So I lay it out for them. If you want to understand Ben, you have to remember the last few words he speaks in the play, which are, the boat will be late. And that is the answer, who is Ben? Mm -hmm. Now, you also have to understand that the author, Arthur Miller, was an aficionado of Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. 
if you have those two pieces of information, then you know what Ben is, other than the brother of Willie, is this beautiful ancient Greek term called psychopomp. Ben is Willie's psychopomp. And what is a psychopomp? A psychopomp is that entity that accompanies the human spirit when it crosses into the world of the shades. So you have to know that this is Charon mm -hmm. navigating the boat across the river Styx. Yeah. It's, That's chilling. It is, and it's a lot to digest. It's a lot to digest. But, but that's what's beautiful again about this experience I'm having in Death of a Salesman. I see the audience chewing on this huge meal. I see them trying to digest it. I see them wondering. I see them looking intently. I see the eyes watering. Because as Ben, I can look right into the audience. Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, it's at the Hudson Theater, and it's playing, I th think this is right, is it through January 15th? January 15th, yes, limited yeah. engagement at the Hudson Theater with an outstanding, and I'm not biased, but I am. <laughs> you are, but you're right, it's a great cast, a really a great, great cast. cast. You know. A great cast. And uh, every, everyone in that cast leaves a mark on your heart. And it's true. And it's, still, it's always been a great play. And every time you see something like this, it's a different experience. And this is truly an unbelievable experience. And I know, Andre, that you're loving it. Now, after January, are you going to treat yourself to a little time off? <laughs> or are, are there 10 plays before breakfast that you're considering? Well, just a little time off, but I have something on my plate that I'm ready to chew on. And we can't know yet, right? No, 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 no. Okay. Well, so should just we save know, our pennies for tickets? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say to my fans, I say, um, when they say, oh, Andre, we love this, we love that, we love this, and I say, there's more to come. Good. I'm excited. You Thank know, you. May, Go ahead. Just, just let me say this, because you and I have been friends for a long time. And one of the, one of the, daily miracles in my life is to wake up on this side of the dirt. That's right. It's a gift. And Count say, all the parts and yeah, if they're still there. Thank yeah, you, Lord. And say, here I am about to be 77 and my life is expanding. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. And that's because, like Willie, you have to bring your bit of joy, no matter how, to make all the rest of us happy. Well, that sounds like a period to me. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
Have a lovely holiday, Andre. Thank I'm you. I'm so you too, happy Joe. for you. Yeah. And um, let's let's talk again. We will. I look forward to it. Take care of yourself. Bye. That's the one and only Andre DeShields, one of the great stars of Death and a Salesman at the Hudson Theater through January 15th. This is a must on your theater list. Thank you all for sharing, Andre. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. I've gotten a lot of calls and a lot of people asking me about holiday tipping. And they range from kids at the office who have just moved to the city and suddenly they're given a page full of names from their apartment houses and things and told, you know, happy holidays with the tipping list. So... A lot of our quality of life is dependent on service people who take care of us all year long. And this is the time when you can give back. And a lot of people depend upon bonuses for the holidays as part of their yearly income. Everything is different. Your relationship, the years of service, use your common sense. But we checked out not only our own life experience, but some guidelines from the Emily Post Institute. Go to emilypost.com. That's the big source of etiquette. And brickunderground.com. Have you all heard of that? That's an online survival guide to finding and living in a New York apartment. So here's some of the tip stuff that we found. And I think you're going to um, be able to take advantage of it like whom to give a tip, whom to give a gift, a gift whether it's, uh, you know, a scarf or something. Teachers, these sites say, should not be tipped. It could be perceived as inappropriate, and it a gift would be welcome. And always accompany a gift or a tip with a short handwritten note of appreciation. EmilyPost.com says... The barber, the massage person, the pet groomer, up to the cost of one regular service or a gift. If you're a regular at the beauty parlor, the cost of a salon visit divided for each staff member who works with you. Live in help if you have a nanny, a housekeeper, a babysitter, a cook, a butler. One week to one month of pay as a cash tip from a little or a little gift. And the au pair or the nanny, up to one week's pay and a gift from the kids. The babysitter, if she's a regular, one evening's pay and a small gift from the kids. And when people say, well, what? Maybe 25 to 70 for each staff member who works with you and your children. A little gift from the children. If you have a nurse, a thoughtful gift, home health employees, a gift if it's not against policy, a housekeeper, if you have cleaning help, use the amount of one week's pay and a small gift, newspaper delivery person, 10 to $30, or a small gift, the same with packages, little gift, $10, $20. A lot of companies discourage it, so check it out. 
And Brick Underground says the amount you tip the staff in your building depends on the size of their building. The larger the staff, the smaller the individual tips, the quality of service, seniority, all that stuff. And they say that if you live in a big apartment house or small and you've got a super resident manager, 150 to 3, 150 to 5 is the broad range. The doormen, and depends on what they do, 75 to 200. And some people give up to 1,000 depending on how many years they've been in the building. The port of the handyman and maintenance staff, 25 to 50. And on a broad range, 20 to 100. And my own daughter said, do I tip in the garage for the car? Yes, you do. And 20 to 75 on average. And it can go up to 100 depending. So that's just a couple of thoughts. It's not going to make you too happy. But think about it. It's once a year. And you can amortize it. And it doesn't come out to that much. Thank you so much for being a part of the Joan Hamburg Show. We love having you aboard. 2023. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. 